Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. We've entered this phase of the pandemic where everyone is obviously tired and frustrated. And we're seeing that get reflected in some public policy decisions. Notably, Quebec's announcement from earlier this week that they would tax the unvaccinated. Those who refuse to receive their first dose in the coming weeks will have to pay a new health contribution. That was Premier François Legault in a press conference on Tuesday. The tax isn't meant to be an exchange for medical services, but more like an extra tax you'd get on your income taxes. And it won't apply to people with valid medical reasons for not being vaccinated. This new tax idea has kicked up a lot of feelings. But we wondered, is it actually good public health policy? Punishing people who aren't doing what you want to do may not lead to improved population health outcomes, and uh, anger and fear is not generally the best basis for making policy. Dr. Devin Grayson is an assistant professor at the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia. They've been studying vaccine hesitancy since 2015, and look at how people use health information to make decisions. They'll help us unpack how to evaluate the ethics of this latest tactic in the government's fight against COVID-19. This is The Decibel. Yeah, Devin, thanks for doing this. This is, uh, I think it's going to be enlightening, so I'm excited for this. Ah, yeah, my pleasure. It's a big issue. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot here to talk about, so I'm glad we're going to get into it. So this new announcement from Quebec that the province will begin to tax the unvaccinated now, is this significantly different from other vaccine mandates and policies that we've seen in Canada throughout the pandemic? Yes, this is a new type of policy for Canada. We have seen some other jurisdictions internationally, um, some European regions uh, recently with COVID-19 introducing uh, fines or taxes or fees for unvaccinated people, as well as historically uh, in the United States, for example, they were fines for uh, being unvaccinated against smallpox. But in terms of a Canadian context, so this is setting a new precedent then. Is that is that fair to say? Very much so. Canada has generally leaned on the side of more incentives and encouragement than uh, consequences, fines and fees for vaccination. Can you just remind us of, I guess, the big picture here? What percentage of Canadians are now vaccinated uh, against COVID-19? So right now, the vaccination rollout uh, domestically has been Uh, quite successful so far with about 90% of eligible people, so that's now ages 5 and up, and until recently ages 12 and up, uh, receiving at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. Um, We have some information, although not really in-depth data, about who remains unvaccinated. Uh, So we know in Canada from uh, polling in November and our government statistics that are updated uh, more weekly, that those who aren't yet vaccinated against COVID-19 are more likely to be members of a number of different groups, including um, men, younger adults as opposed to older adults, so 20s to 40s rather than 50s and up, and uh, children as opposed to teenagers. That may be a time lag or it may be parents being a little more reticent to give a new seeming vaccine to younger children. Hmm. They're more likely to be in prairies or territories than in eastern or Atlantic Canada or British Columbia. 
They're also more likely to be indigenous have only high school level education. And um, some polling has suggested that at least in some provinces, they may be more likely to be politically supporters of conservative or PPC parties. So we do have a little bit of information there um, about who is not yet vaccinated in Canada. Do we have any idea about why people aren't getting vaccinated? Is, is there any kind of data, I guess, on, on that? This is not the profile of one unified group of people. Right. Rather, this suggests that there are a variety of reasons people remain unvaccinated. And these most likely include, for some people, lack of access still to vaccination uh, or to the time and you know, resources needed to get vaccinated, make it, maybe make an appointment and have the space to potentially recover from a day or two of feeling bad afterwards. Uh, as well, trust in the government is likely a large factor uh, holding people back from getting vaccinated already. Also fear of side effects for themselves, as well as a lack of concern about the threat of COVID to their own personal health. And these different reasons for being unvaccinated call for different remedies. Okay, so we're in the midst uh, of a wave where hospitals are really filling up now. Um, and the reality is, is, if you're unvaccinated, you're more likely to be admitted into a hospital and into the ICU for COVID. So now there's this talk of punishing people for their choice not to get vaccinated, like this new Quebec uh, proposed health tax. What are the ethical implications, though, of a public policy like that? So while it's still a little hard to comment on the specific proposed Quebec um, fine or tax, because um, mandate policies vary widely in their details and the details matter immensely to how they're implemented and how they're received, we don't have those details yet. There are sort of four ethical considerations we really want to think about when implementing any policies, such as a vaccine mandate. And those are the effectiveness of the policy, its equity issues or distributive justice issues. Uh, there's a question of whether this is part of a so-called slippery slope and also what unanticipated consequences this policy may give rise to. Hmm. Okay, so there's a lot there. So let's start from that first consideration that you mentioned, the, the effectiveness of a policy. Can you give us some sense of what you mean by that? Sure. So, I mean, generally, to be ethically justifiable, a policy needs to be effective. To assess whether a policy is effective at all, we need to have a clear sense of what the objective of the policy is. Legault has said this is to help defray the cost of health care. Uh, will this actually raise enough money to cover those costs? We, we don't know. We don't have the details. Often vaccine mandates, uh, such as what we see with uh, vaccine certificates, codes, or so-called passports to enter, say, a restaurant, are intended to decrease the risk of transmission in that particular setting. So then there's a question of, you know, is it reasonably effective in that setting? So a setting that's high risk, such as somewhere where you're going to be singing with other people or eating with other people, that is likely justifiable, but another setting where maybe you're just going into a shop with a mask on and grabbing something off the shelf is less justifiable because the likelihood of transmission in that setting is less likely. There's also the argument that increasing, you know, putting in more barriers to being unvaccinated will reduce population risks in the long term because it will encourage more people to be vaccinated. And this may be the case, but it will not have an immediate effect. Uh, and this isn't usually articulated out loud, but there's also the possibility that an objective of a policy is sort of to send a message or to gain political popularity for whatever government is implementing the policy. I do want to bring up another policy that Quebec raised last week. 
about now needing to be vaccinated to go into a liquor store or a cannabis store. After announcing that, they did see a boost in the number of people signing up for their first dose appointment. So for something like that, is that a clear sign that that policy is effective then? Well, what we've seen is generally when you announce a new policy, there will be at least a short-term uptick in vaccination appointments made and and hopefully vaccinations received as well. So the night after it was announced, in fact, Quebec is reporting that they saw a rise in new bookings for first vaccines uh, that we're attributing to just announcement that there will be a policy implemented at some time with some details. Uh, that would fine people who are unvaccinated. The questions really then go to um, proportionality. You know, is the payoff that you see equal or equivalent to the sort of heaviness of the policy that you're implementing or announcing? In public health ethics, we often visualize like a, a staircase or a ladder of escalating policies that are so start out as very non-intrusive and then become more intrusive as you escalate. And, uh, you know, given that we know we still have access issues uh, and, you know, for example, the new policy on using the VAXA code for uh, government run liquor and, and, and cannabis stores was just revealed a week ago. We don't see the full impact of that yet, perhaps. This seems like a big jump up several steps uh, to escalate to uh, a tax or fine on all unvaccinated people. So we would encourage governments uh, to really collect and look at the data and find out what exactly is going on in your specific jurisdiction and create policies starting from the least intrusive and you know escalating as need be to address your specific situation. Let's move on to the, the second ethical consideration that you mentioned there, which is equity. What makes a public health policy equitable? Mm. Well, that's a great question. And I think ethicists will debate the you know, details of this. So when we're talking nuts and bolts of equity of a vaccine mandate, uh, for example, there are questions like who has access to vaccination and is that access to vaccination equitable. And given that we're seeing data such as, you know, indigenous populations and people who have only a high school education are less vaccinated than other Canadians, uh, we might suspect that there isn't quite equitable access yet. Um, there's also the question when you have a financial penalty of, of who the fines matter to, right? Because many fines are effectively, you know, a fine for people for whom that amount of money is a hardship and not for other people. So for example, this like this proposed tax here, um, the question of it being equitable, it's gonna affect people in lower income brackets a lot more than people who are wealthier. Is, is that a fair kind of way of thinking about it then? Yeah, it's very likely that that is how it will pay out. And, and there's also the issue of surveillance. You know, one thing we don't know is how would this tax be uh, enforced? Then again, what disproportionate harms that surveillance could have for populations who are already subject to a great deal of surveillance, such as indigenous populations. On this uh, this point of equity, it's kind of interesting to note that that's actually one of the reasons that Premier Francois Legault gave to, to justify this new tax. Um, he said, and, and I'll quote here, it's a question of equity. Right now, these people put a very important burden on our healthcare uh, network. 
And I think it's normal that the majority of the population is asking that there be a consequence. What's your take on that? So, I mean, we are in a sad and scary reality right now with this Omicron wave. Um, And it's normal and understandable that people feel frustrated and angry and that you know, the majority who has followed advice and gotten vaccination may feel frustrated with folks who are not vaccinated out of their own choice at this point. However, we also know that, you know, punishing people who aren't doing what you want to do may not lead to improved population health outcomes. And uh, anger and fear is not generally the best basis for making policy. And while it's easy to point fingers at people who remain unvaccinated, To be fair, there are multiple contributors to our current situation. Yes, people who are unvaccinated by choice are putting a disproportionate burden on the health system. However, we've also been through decades of making our health system uh, what they call lean. So our surge capacity is limited. We have, in many areas, removed other precautions, such as masking and physical distancing, to rely overly on vaccinating in a world where there's still a great deal of global vaccine inequity that Canada has contributed to and which enables variants such as Omicron to develop. Your third point that uh, that you mentioned earlier is uh, the slippery slope consideration. Can you walk us through how a proposed policy like this um, could, I guess, could lead to a slippery slope? Right. I mean, the obvious question when we introduce a tax or fine for one health behavior is what health behaviors are next? When we're talking about something that people do or don't like put into their bodies or really do with their bodies, it's a higher ethical burden than just taxing a product that you might buy, such as, you know, we do tax cigarettes and alcohol because they're not good for you and they, you know, eventually raise costs for our health system. But that's different than putting a tax on you know, what you have put or refuse to put into your body. That, that's a higher level of sort of justification required. Um, there's also a bit of a slippery slope question to be considered in terms of this is the way that we think of privatized healthcare. Raising premiums or raising fees on people who are going to cost us more. And that hasn't historically been the way that we have administered healthcare in Canada since the Canada Health Act. Of course, we do have some aspects of privatization in our healthcare system, but is this the concern that this would be kind of an overarching, wider reaching aspect of it that would be the danger then? Like that's the slippery slope aspect? I think it's just another sort of step that might move us incrementally into that mindset of privatization. Uh, just to raise another point with this, I guess, uh, I think a lot of Canadians do value the the universality of our healthcare system. Uh, it's a bit of a point of pride for a lot of Canada. Uh, but at the same time, people are frustrated that the choice of some people to not get vaccinated is impeding their own access to healthcare and, and that for the people around them. So for example, postponed surgeries is, is a huge thing right now. So some people you know, may say we're already making these decisions about who gets healthcare resources, who gets care, and, and not at this point. So is prioritizing people who are vaccinated uh, not just kind of an extension of that? Well, again, I want to bring us back to sort of, you know, being unvaccinated is one risk factor for costing our health system a lot of money. But there are other risk factors as well. We can charge taxes on products. That's a different sort of category, but once we're charging people taxes on essentially their own bodies, uh, that, that is a more concerning ethical question. 
So let's move on to the the fourth ethical consideration then, uh, the unanticipated consequences of of a policy. Can you give me an example of of what you mean by that? Sure. And of course, I have to say, by virtue of being unanticipated, there may be things that emerge that I haven't foreseen. Um, course, however, yeah. there, there are a few that we can reasonably um, foresee possibly coming out of a policy such as this. And so we should be monitoring for and should be concerned about, frankly. Um, one is this type of um, policy may incredibly benefit anti-vaccine thought leaders. Right. We know that there are a small number of people who make a lot of money off of uh, selling uh, so-called alternatives to vaccination, as well as just selling information products or disinformation products, I should say. And those thought leaders may also be able to leverage a policy like this to raise a lot of money. Maybe they will pay other people's health taxes, pay their own health taxes based on the money they've raised from supporters. Um, there's also the concern, which is related, that with vaccination, one of our key goals is to build trust long-term with um, you know, science, with our medical system, and with the government. And um, vaccination you know, isn't a one and done kind of thing. We have a lifetime of vaccinations over a person's you know, entire life. And a policy like this uh, for the people who are unvaccinated still against COVID and also more likely than to you know, refuse or decline other vaccines, this is unlikely to build trust in the long term for those populations that are the hardest to reach. And I also want to note that for healthcare providers who have been so, so put upon, so stressed and so stretched um, through this entire pandemic going on two years now, um, this potentially puts vaccinators in a very difficult ethical position themselves and in a hard place if they're being asked to vaccinate people who don't feel that they consent, you know, with full autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. You raise a really good point there. That's a consideration for sure. One thing we are also starting to hear about this proposed tax um, is that it's expected to be tested in in the courts as well. Could, I guess, the cost of a court challenge uh, be an example of one of the unanticipated consequences of this policy? Absolutely. And I mean, the cost of a court challenge could end up being far more than the money raised by such a fine or tax. So that gets us back to the objectives and will this achieve the objectives? Mm-hmm. Let's look at the, the big picture again here for a moment. Um, as, as you mentioned a bit earlier, Canada is in a relatively uh, decent shape in terms of vaccination status uh, compared to the rest of the world. Um, we've spent a lot of time talking about what makes for an ethically sound pandemic policy. So I guess taking all of that into consideration, what should public health officials and governments doing to get the final percentage of the Canadian population vaccinated? So when we're looking at the big picture, truly the biggest group of unvaccinated people, and therefore those who pose the greatest risk to you know, both Canadians and everyone around the world, are those internationally who still have no access to even a single dose of vaccination against COVID. Mm. I can't overstate how essential it is that Canada, along with other wealthy countries that have been effectively hoarding the vaccines to ourselves, work to ensure that we have global vaccine equity, even if that means waivers of the usual intellectual property regulations. What about domestically, though, in terms of, you know, the immediate Canadian population? I've been studying vaccination and vaccine hesitancy and refusal and confidence since 2015. And one thing we've really learned is that there are many different flavors, if you will, of vaccine hesitancy. Mm. And uh, so it's not going to be the same for everyone. 
So it's really important that our governments collect and analyze really good data on what is happening in different jurisdictions, because it's not necessarily going to be the same in Quebec as it is in British Columbia, as it is in Nova Scotia. In particular, who still doesn't have equitable access to vaccination right now. Uh, we saw there was a poll this fall that 10% of unvaccinated Canadians would take a vaccine this week if it were offered to them. Hmm. It, with no policy change at all, except increasing access. So what does that tell you? What does that reveal to you? It tells us that even though we think you know it's free to everyone, it's available to everyone, it's not necessarily available to everyone in the ways that they need it to be available. And there's a further you know group of people who just need some more uh, you know, personalized counseling, perhaps. Maybe they're afraid about their own medical condition, a medical condition that runs in their family, and they need a little individualized counseling, or they have a great deal of anxiety around vaccinations, and they need, you know, a, a comforting environment to get vaccinated. And there are still some access issues that we would really do well to focus on. Devin, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through this today. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to talk with you, Manika. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>